From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Oregon's primary election is just a few days away on Tuesday, May 17th. And one of the races Portlanders will be voting on is the city council seat currently held by Commissioner Dan Ryan. He won the position in a special election two years ago to complete the term held by the late Nick Fish. Now Ryan's hoping to be reelected to a full four year term. He has several challengers and if one candidate doesn't get more than 50% of the vote, the top two will face each other in a runoff in November. And voters are in a sour mood when it comes to incumbents. A DHM poll earlier this year showed only 10% of respondents would reelect Ryan. Still more than half of those polled were unsure how they'd vote at the time. In this episode of Straight Talk, Commissioner Dan Ryan joins us to make his pitch to voters on why they should give him another term. And in our next segment, his leading opponent, A.J. McCreary, the founder of a small nonprofit, joins us to tell us why she thinks it's time for voters to make a change. First, welcome to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. Welcome back to Straight Talk, Commissioner. Hello, Laurel Porter. So good to see you. Well, those poll numbers, when you first learned how bad they were, it must have been discouraging. How, how do you explain them? Oh, I've seen worse. And so I just focused on the fact that there are a big number that were undecided, and those are the voters that we've been communicating with. And uh, so it's, it's where Portland's at right now. People love this city, and they're really disappointed. They're, they've been tolerating the intolerable, in my opinion, for a long time, uh, for like the last five years. And they want city leaders who are bold that will take action and get us out of this ditch. And I think they're seeing from me as an earnest elected official, a true public servant that's doing the best they can to move the work. You are the city's point person on homelessness and people probably are most familiar with your effort to build six safe rest villages, city sanctioned outdoor homeless camps where people would have pods to sleep in and they'd also have services. The camps would, um, each have 60 pods each, but it's taken a lot longer than you initially promised. At first you said they would be finished by the end of last year, and now you're just preparing to open the first one. What do you tell voters who ask what is taking so long? Commissioner Ryan sure is persistent and they do not give up. And so what I've faced is what a lot of Portlanders have. When you're working with the city and the county, things can move pretty slow. We're bringing innovation into the system. We, well, the reason I called out the fact that we didn't have on-ramps from those who were chronically homeless to actually moving into permanent housing and having a much higher success rate is because we needed something like the Safe Rest Villages. I'm just thrilled that we were able to get it passed by the entire city council, that we continue to get the funding to move forward, that we faced one roadblock after another internally and externally, and by God, we're opening them up. We should have uh, two open by the end of this month, three open by the, by the end of summer, and it's progress. Well, let me ask you about the one that you're supposed to open first. A neighborhood associations are rescinding their support for the village on NATO Parkway near two schools because they say the city isn't meeting their request for a screening process for tenants who live there. They want a village advisory group. They also want a buffer of a thousand feet to prohibit tent camping around the village. Why not honor those requests? What's the problem there? What we're doing, Laura, is we're having really intense, wonderful conversations. Again, Portlanders are passionate. I really understand the sentiments by parents. As you recall, I was on the Portland Public School Board in the past. I've also been the CEO of the Schools Foundation, which became All Hands Raised. I'm very sensitive to the love and passion and protection that parents want for their children. So we've had really great dialogue. It's allowed the city and the county 
to become more robust in how we roll out a good neighbor agreement. Quite frankly, some of them in the last 10 years have not lived up to the promise. And so this commissioner is making sure that we resourced the safety plan, that we make sure that we have uh, the right people at the table, including the, the police force, including the people from the uh, street safety team, the impact reduction team, and most importantly, the school community leadership and also the leadership. Well, Commissioner, of the they, they've so been saying that make sure they don't feel like safe. they don't feel like you're listening to them. Are you going to honor some of their requests? Yeah, what I've learned in this process is that it can be a roller coaster in terms of when you're negotiating. So we're at a place now where we're back at the table. We're, we're compromising. We're listening to one another. We've had great conversations just in the last two days, and I'm really thrilled that we have the right people at the table including the leaders of the school community. So we're making progress for a safety plan that will be really supported by, that will be helpful to both the villagers and also for the school kids. And the number of people living unsheltered in Portland increased dramatically during the pandemic. The new point in time count shows the number of people living on the street jumped from about 2,000 to 3,000. And when finished, the Safe Rest Villages would only house a total of about 300. 10% of the people who are unsheltered barely making a dent. What plans do you have for the other 2,700 who are unsheltered? Well, first of all, these are uh, these are uh, temporary ass assessment periods of time from six to nine months that will give the uh, people in the provider network a chance to measure their resilience, look at their mental health, behavioral health status, looking at their workforce readiness, and then moving them into permanent housing. And so the Safe Breast Villages are an opportunity to do those kind of much needed on-ramp assessments. And that's something we've needed in the continuum for some time. And really the Safe Breast Villages will also allow us to start to move towards a net zero and actually a net gain in terms of people being successfully housed, which is greater every year than the numbers who are coming onto our streets. And so it's a very complicated continuum, but Portland has to move in the right direction. And one thing I've done is really worked with the county. The county uh, and the city are in on this together. The county runs the services. The city provides the infrastructure. The Safe Rest Villages is, is an opportunity for us to really come together and work as partners. Critics say when you were running in 2020, you ran on a more progressive agenda. You promised to cut the police budget, invest in alternatives to police. Now with polls showing the public's frustration with growing crime and homelessness, they say you've become more of a law and order candidate, supporting hiring more police officers, calling for urgent action to clean up Portland streets, spending more money on shelters for people who are homeless rather than taking a housing first approach. Are you a different candidate today? Have you flip flopped or, and turned your back on your values? My humanitarian progressive values are intact. I'm a very pragmatic person, always have been. I tend to meet both sides on their edges so you can actually pragmatically move work forward. It doesn't do any good when we're in echo chambers and we're not working together or listening to one another. I'm a reform first person when it comes to community safety and to see better results so people actually do feel safe. We need joy back on our streets. And when it comes to homelessness, I always said it's about services first. We have to get away from these false narratives, shelter versus housing, sweep versus no sweep, defund versus fund. It's about community safety and it's about improving the results for people who are on the streets so they actually become successful in housing. And I'm always saying this, I know I've said this with you before, Laurel, I think some of our best employers in the homeless, to work with homeless residents are going to be those that are entering the villages today in a few years. They will be sober, 
they will be getting the services they need. And so they can take that lived experience and share it with people who are on, in a chronically homeless place themselves. So I'm really looking forward to building that network. But I want to push back a little bit on, on your original campaign promises. You talked about implementing real reforms to the Portland Police Bureau, but then you voted against an $18 million cut to the Bureau's budget. And a lot of folks who supported you, uh, police reform advocates felt betrayed. What do you say to them? I say just read what I wrote during the campaign and the I know there was in one of the uh, uh, one of I think it was Climate Week I answered the question I said I supported the one earlier in the summer because it built something that was the original 15 million to build Portland Street response when I entered office just a few weeks into being sworn in I had to look at the new details the new details were a bigger cut with no strategic investment. It was a lot of little investments to many organizations. I call that spraying and praying. And I'm all about very focused, deliberate um, investments that get impact. And so that's, that's how I've always been. And so I'm really proud of my vote. It was a politically risky decision, I was told, but I knew with all my heart, after looking at the data, after looking at the increase in organized crime, that the last thing the city could incur at that time was an additional uh, cuts to the police. And we have to build the morale of our community safety system. All of our first responders are working together. Portland Street response with police, with fire. They're a team and we need to build the morale up of that team because those are our frontline employees who are keeping all of us safe. You mentioned the Portland Street Response Team championed by Commissioner Hardesty. It's an unarmed emergency response team of health workers and paramedics who respond to calls for people in a mental health crisis. But last year, you voted to delay fully funding that program. And since then, Portland State issued a glowing report about how successful the program has been. Was that a mistake for you to vote against that funding? I was absolutely in alignment with the plan. The plan was to make sure that we kept the money in the contingency so we could release it after the, the data came out and the evaluation came out from Portland State. It didn't slow down the process of building Portland Street response at all. Just gave us more information on how to continue to invest and move forward. So I'm all in. Well, Commissioner, if you're reelected, what can you tell voters you will accomplish? Give us something concrete if you get to serve another term. <laughs> Because Commissioner Ryan decided to run for office at this time, this hometown person gave their all as a public servant. And we now have an on-ramp from people living in chronic homelessness with a hope of getting the services they need to be successfully housed. Because I was on this in this body at this time, we now have on-ramps to improve our numbers of people who are becoming homeowners in the city of Portland because we need to do real build real generational wealth with entrepreneurism and home ownership. Because I'm in office, we're gonna really have a much better permitting system, which, which too often delays um, development in our city, which impacts our housing stock. We have too low of a supply, and we will make sure that we continue, I'll continue to work with Commissioner Maps to do the proper surgery on the permit system. And more importantly, I'm just excited to have joy back on our streets. I've never been so excited about Rose Festival my entire life. We need people out on the streets. We need people to come back downtown and work. We need people downtown at going to film and going to theater and going to the arts venues. And so I wanna be a part of that city council that brings back that hope. And that's what we're doing. And I'm very excited about developments that will be taking place in the OMSI area in Southeast out at the ESCO property so we can build affordable housing, get some really wonderful um, industry and, and jobs back into the downtown core. 
And I want to be a part of that city council that stays focused. We got to stay focused. Well, those um, are some big, big dreams and yeah. big hopes and some things you've already done. But give me one concrete thing that if I talk to you six months down the road, um, if you're reelected, that you can say, look, I, I did that. I, I built uh, the first um, innovative on-ramp. No, but one more thing. One thing you haven't done yet. One thing you haven't done yet. Oh, to make sure that we um, that we are resourcing the uh, permitting system properly so that we don't lose out on investments that will allow us to redevelop parts of our city from 82nd to Lower East Side over to the Northwest Portland. I will be the commissioner that's working with both the private sector and the public sector to, to move Portland forward. We can't do this alone as government. We must have bridge building with the private sector, with the community sector. And Commissioner, I can give you about 30 seconds for a final message for voters today. You know, yesterday I was so thrilled to be in the chambers with people live. We, there was a herd of supporters for, that were celebrating the, the res restoration of the elk, which I led with Commissioner Rubio. And I think that, that feeling that hope in the room gives me excitement that with, with people like me being thoughtful, being public servants that are focused on the work, this isn't a time for people to build a political resume. I'm doing this after a really good career. I'm giving my uh, skill sets back to my hometown, and I'm just excited to be a solid public servant for the city of Portland focused on doing the best I can, not worried about managing some brand. I'm just getting started and I'm so ready to have a full term for all of you. And I know you're a big Blazers fan and we were just talking that you're gonna be watching that NBA draft lottery on election night. Oh yeah, those ping pong balls. Just I'm praying for the ping pong balls to really land in the right way. And uh, just for the love of Dame, we all, we all want Dame to have some new talent surrounding him. And we wanna be packing that Rose Garden again because that definitely brings joy to the city of Portland. Yeah, go City, Blazers. Right, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Commissioner Dan Ryan. Thank you for joining us. Up next, Ryan's leading opponent, A.J. McCreary, joins us. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. With Oregon's primary just a few days away, we're taking a look at the contest for Portland City Council position two, the race between incumbent Commissioner Dan Ryan and his chief opponent, A.J. McCreary. She's the founder and executive director of the nonprofit Equitable Giving Circle. We heard from Ryan in our first segment. Now I'm pleased to welcome A.J. McCreary to Straight Talk. It's your first time here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and putting this together. Well, why did you decide to run for city council in the first place and why run against Dan Ryan? Well, we really need some new leadership in this seat. We really need some new energy that's going to implement things. I jumped in the race because my community asked me to because we are very, very, as a larger community, distraught about what is happening particularly with this seat and that nothing is really moving around houselessness. Nothing is really moving around economic development. And the incumbent doesn't have serious plans. Uh, they talk about the safe rest villages and that's a need to collect data. We have tons of data available, Multnomah County, Metro, as well as Portland State just released data around the houseless issues. And so we need somebody who's actually gonna take things and move them and not create more, more stalls. So I'm running because we need real change in Portland and I'm that person. 
Well, voters, as you know, are frustrated with the direction the city of Portland's going. A recent poll showed three quarters of respondents said the city's headed in the wrong direction. What can you tell voters about how the city would look different if you're elected to city council instead of Dan Ryan? Yeah, really investing in preventative services and preventative measures, really investing in the people of Portland and not corporations, and also actually being a problem solver trying to get to the root of the issues. Portland isn't having the same issues around housing, transportation, the environment, public safety, all getting worse over my lifetime. I'm 36 years old. These are things that are not new in Portland. They're just getting worse and worse and worse. We need folks who are actually going to get things done. If I'm elected, when I'm elected, I will actually be moving work. I have a plan around houselessness, investing in the 3000 challenge that is spearheaded by Urban League and Verde. <clears throat> and there's over 50 organizations getting behind that movement. Um, I am excited to support people in real time. You know, it, I've been doing community work on a large scale level for the last couple of years. Um, it's been very public and very obvious with Equal Giving Circle and Mom Block. I'm a doer. I'm somebody who gets things done. I'm also rooted in community and connected with community across the color line. And I'm somebody who will be able to bring people along with me. Part of the thing that's an issue in Portland is that we exist in silos and we don't have people that want to bring people together. I do. And I have a history and a track record of doing that. And so what I can tell voters is that if you want change, you cannot invest in the same old, same old. You've got to invest in somebody new. And that is me. Well, residents are also fed up with the rising number of shootings, close to 500 so far this year, 34 shooting homicides. Many people are scared. The Portland Police Bureau is understaffed and stretched thin. You've said you would vote to cut the police budget. How would that make the community safer? When we say cut the police budget, we mean cut the police budget and invest that money into other program. It's not just to get rid of things. Uh, Portland Street Response is one way that we can invest in the safety of Portland. Uh, it is a really great program. It's now citywide and we need to make sure that it's 24 hours a day and that people know about it. It's also if we want to cut gun violence, we need to have preventative services. Well-resourced communities are safe communities, and Portland has not been well-resourced for the people for decades. And so if I'm, when I'm elected, I'm going to work on that and to make sure that people have the resources they need. You keep pushing people to the margins, people are going to do desperate things because they're in a desperate place. If people have the resources they need, housing, food, transportation, childcare, healthcare, mental health care services, addiction services, things start to look and feel differently. And so we need folks who are going to be pragmatic and logical in those ways and actually invest in people. It sounds like that could be a long-term solution, but a lot of uh, residents really want something right away, something urgent to bring down gun violence. Any thoughts, any ideas about how to do that? Well, I would tell all of those folks who are pressed about the police that well, we've got to do something different because right now when it comes to the police, the police are having a hard time hiring folks and retaining officers. If any other industry was having the same kind of issues, we would largely be making big pivots to figure out something else. So, yes, we do have a gun violence issue. It's also rooted in lack of resources. People don't have the, the things that they need. They will do desperate things, which ends up being violent. If we want to address these issues, we're going to have to get to the root of the problems. So we've got to get to the root of housing. We've got to get to the root of basic needs being met. This is allegedly a sanctuary city. We sure don't act like it. We're sure not investing in the people and taking care of people at the basic level. 
those are the things that we have to change. If we want to change the gun violence, we have to get to the root issue. So that's again, leaning into making sure people have housing, making sure that no one else is falling into houselessness, making sure that people have food, have healthcare, have childcare, you know, having resources in the community, investing in people in real time makes a difference. And I can tell you that with my work with MomBlock and Equigiving Circle, as well as my work in other spaces, we do know that when people have the resources they need, things drastically change for them, how they see the world, how they show up, how they move, and overall the outcome. So if we're really saying that we are a progressive city, a sanctuary city, we have to invest in our people. These aren't overnight solutions. That's unrealistic. It's not going to be overnight. We don't have a magic wand. But we do have data. We do have solutions. And we actually need to implement those things. You're participating in the city's open and accountable elections program, which uses taxpayer money to match small donations six to one in an attempt to get big money out of elections. The Willamette Week reported this week you paid your 15-year-old son $3,200 in campaign funds earlier this month. Will you explain that payment to us? Yeah, I paid my 15-year-old son, who is a race talks facilitator, a freshman at Multnomah, or why don't you want to rename that school, Mount Hood Community College. He's worked with Meyer Memorial Fund. He's worked with Albina Vision Trust. Uh, he is a well-known ballet dancer and accomplished artist in town. He's did my website. You can see it on the website that it says made by, managed by Hobbs Waters. He sends out all of my communication. He's done a ton of research. Uh, he's not the only youth that I hired on my campaign. I also hired Danny Cage, who is a known activist in town. I believe in paying people. I also believe in multi-generational work and collaborations. And so it was important both from the beginning to pay people as also to have young voices on this campaign. And so I absolutely hired my child. I absolutely hired another young person and they've done incredible work. Uh, if I hired a, a firm to do my website in January, it was gonna take you know four to six weeks. My son was able to put a website up and it's beautiful. It's very nice. And I'm not the only person that he's done a professional website for. He was able to do it in four days. So yes, I paid him and the headline should have said, AJ McCreary ripped her own child off and underpaid him. Well, as a follow-up, because uh, a lot of voters will want to have a little bit more information, because that, that money was donors' money that uh, the city matched, mm -hmm. taxpayer money, and they may question whether, you know, even though it's not against campaign finance law to pay relatives, they may question whether that's an appropriate use of taxpayer dollars. Well, I feel like that's an attack because I'm young, I'm a light-skinned black woman, and we're looking for a gotcha moment. So I have done nothing nefarious, nothing bad, and his work is incredible and speaks for itself. He's an accomplished, well-known person in town. Matter of fact, he also works for a company called AP & Co doing philanthropy work in their development department. So I would say, haters gonna hate and i hired my over accomplished overachiever child i don't feel bad about it and i absolutely will continue to work with young people in this way well thank you for the explanation um we don't have a lot of time left but i want to give you about a minute to just tell us about you'll be the youngest person on the council if elected how do you think that will affect the direction of the council i think it's critical that we have multi-generational leadership in spaces like portland city hall on city council i think it's critical if we're thinking about the future of our city and the future of the world, that we are investing in multi-generational leadership and having younger voices. By no means am I young, I'm 36. 
I'm definitely not young, I guess, compared to somebody who's 60. Maybe that feels really young, but I am an experienced, accomplished adult who has been able to do very large projects that were told to be impossible. I think it's critical that we have younger voices, and I think it's going to be really helpful to get more people involved and more people interested. Uh, I think it's also important that we have just fresh energy in that space. And so I'm excited to be that person, excited to do that work. And my work speaks for itself. So if you've seen my work and followed it in community, you know that I can do really, really tough things. AJ, I'm going to jump in here because I want to give you 30 seconds because we are almost out of time to no. just your final pitch to voters. Portland needs change. You cannot invest in the same old, same old and expect new results. So if you want change, please get on board and get with Team AJ, New Energy in City Hall. I am a doer. I'm a person that brings people together and I know how to, I know how to do tough things. This is a tough job and I'm the person for that job. AJ McCreary, thank you for joining us. And remember, your ballots are either due in a drop box by 8 p.m. Tuesday, May 17th, or postmarked by then. We'll have results on KGW and KGW.com. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next week for analysis of the election results. We'll see you then for Straight Talk.